Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey everybody, welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Jackie Ung. And before we get to Jackie, I have a few announcements to make. First and foremost, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. See articles that I've written, see articles that some of the guests have written, and see links to all our social media, and see links to their social media. Our social media is Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. There's links to our Facebook page, which is Travel Tales Podcast. There are links to Apple Podcasts and Stitcher Radio. And if you're on those platforms, I ask you, as always, to please give us a good rating, because that helps more people find the show by boosting our presence. We're on Spotify. Apparently, that's what the kids are listening to nowadays. Subscribe wherever you want. And as always, it's free. That's a price you can get behind, isn't it? If you think you'd be right for the show, or maybe you know somebody who'd be right for the show, maybe you want to write me and ask some travel advice, maybe you just want to say nice things, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Jackie Young is someone I've been running into at travel events over the years. Our paths cross here and there, and uh, I've always tried to get around the show, and it just hasn't worked out for one reason or another, but finally... We got to uh, sit down and have a conversation, which was great. It was, it was great to get to know her. I managed to catch her hours before she was headed to the airport on some uh, fantastic journey, which she's going to talk about. Managed to record this a day after I got home from six weeks on the ship, so it was just nice to be talking to someone on land with two nice microphones. Oh, you'll love it, folks. Anyway, it was great to meet Jackie. She's been to some amazing places, and we got to talk about them. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with the lovely, charming, and adventurous... Jackie Young. U-E-N-G. That is... Is it Chinese? Yes. Okay. Is your family from mainland China or... My grandparents on both sides are from China, and my parents were both born in Taiwan because my grandparents escaped the communist revolution in China. Wow. To Taiwan. Okay, so when did they come here? They both, they met in L.A., but they both came around 1980. Okay, and you were born here? Yes. Okay, okay. California native? Yes. Wow. L.A. County. L.A. County, an actual local? Yes. Wow, you don't meet too many of them. I guess not. Not in Hollywood. No. Everyone I know is from somewhere else. We moved here. What was it like? What part of L.A. did you grow up in? Hacienda Heights. Okay. That, is that Orange County? No, that's L.A. It's County? almost bordering San Bernardino and Orange County. Okay. Um, but it's near Diamond Bar. Most yes. people know where that is. So it's the best Chinese and Taiwanese food out yes. there. And where's, where's the place? What's the big Vietnamese pot? That's Garden Grove, right? Garden Grove, Westminster. Okay. So for people who uh, are in the area, give us your restaurant recommendation for the best Chinese down there. There's too much, but off the top of my head, <laughs> there's Bobi Cafe, B-O-B-E-E Cafe in Roland Heights for the best beef noodle soup, Taiwanese style. And they also have stinky tofu, which I know you have tried I've, in I Taiwan. Have, I have had stinky tofu. Yes. It's, uh, it's okay. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad I tried it. Yeah. I didn't hate it, but I mean, 
I'd rather have the non-sticky <laughs> stinky tofu. Right. <laughs> but it was fermented in a way. It was out of necessity, right? Oh, that was the reason they cooked it that way. I think so. Yeah. I mean, out of choice. It's an you, acquired taste yeah, for sure. <laughs> exactly. So why is the uh, Chinese food in L.A.'s Chinatown so disappointing? Is that because everybody moved out to San Gabriel Valley? I don't know exactly. But now, uh, I mean, the population there of Chinese people are, I don't want to say dying, but they're old. They're yeah. like 70s, 80s, 90s. The kids aren't necessarily staying out there. And I think a big population there, maybe we're from South China, Hong Kong, Vietnam. So it was more dim sum or Cantonese food. But even then, it was always better in Alhambra and San Gabriel. I don't know the reason behind it, but it definitely is not good food there. Yeah. Maybe there are some now that are popping up, but. Okay. See, I'm already on the food. I know, because I know that's a big part of your site. Mm -hmm. Bohemian Vagabond. Tell me how this got started and what made you start it. So in 2008, I went to India for three weeks. Um, I had graduated in 2006 and I had the strong desire to go. I don't know what it is about India, but a lot of people are drawn and they absolutely have to go. And typically those that are drawn end up loving it. But a lot of people that are not drawn but were brought there by business or other reasons may absolutely hate it. I have so, a love-hate. We'll, yes. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about India in a bit. Yeah. Okay, so you went for how long? I went for three weeks on my own. That's what um, I did, three weeks. Yeah, and initially I went on my own kind of because, not that I didn't have another choice, but I only had maybe two friends that I would go on such a trip with and they weren't available because they were going to grad school. And the other people interested, I just didn't feel like we'd have the same style. So I felt that it was better I go on my own so I can do whatever I want. And I realized I really did love solo travel. And when I told my parents, I think I had told them for two years I was going, they didn't believe me, like, because I've always been a dreamer. And when I actually booked my flight and I was leaving in a month, they were both freaking out because one, they haven't really heard of uh, females traveling alone, especially their daughter. And they, they, my mom said, you're going to go to a war zone, you're going to die. And I a said, war zone? I think you're talking about Iraq at the time. <laughs> she said, it's all the same region, you're going to die. Oh, and, boy. You know, these rumors of a friend of a friend who got food poisoning and died and blah, blah, blah. So they were begging me and bribing me not to go. She said, I'll pay for your cancellation ticket. Wow. Uh, I'll take you to Europe, whatever you want. I was like, no, I'm going. So I started the blog. Um, it was just JackieYoung.com just to check in daily and let my friends and family know what I was up to. Totally casual. Um, and it wasn't until many years later that I revamped the website. I hired someone to design it better. Um, but maybe only the last three years that I've really focused on it um, and have been getting a lot more press trips and partnerships with brands and stuff like that. What was the thing that drew you to India, you think, as opposed to what I did and what most people do after college? You do the six-week backpacking thing around Europe. Why India? That's a hard one to dive right into right. for solo travel. I'm not sure why. Uh, I always grew up fascinated with like the National Geographic's channel which was always showing Africa or India or Southeast Asia. Then I majored in cultural anthropology in college, which once again, we're focused on different cultures. I'm not sure why. I know I made a lot of friends with Indians and Iranians and Sri Lankans back in college, and I love their food. But I don't know if that's why. I just, I just have this weird fascination towards it. And... Back then, it was really popular, and now still, to go and teach English or volunteer and all that kind of stuff. So that was my idea, that I was going to go volunteer for six months initially till my money ran out. But instead, I took a job in real estate, 
right out of college thinking it was temporary. And I started making pretty good money and I was traveling. And then somewhere along the lines, maybe four or five years later, I realized that this is kind of my path is that I will keep this corporate job that seemingly boring, but makes good money. And then I can travel. Mm -hmm. What year was this that you, I took on the job in 2006. Okay. So So the real estate was booming then. It was booming for a good two years. That's when I bought. Okay. Which I found out later was the wrong time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that's uh, one of these days I'll buy when it's uh, right. One yeah. of these days I'm gonna I'm gonna. That's right. a, that's a whole different podcast. But anyway, so you went there. Did you start? Did you stay in one city or did you just travel all around India? So I had done a lot of research back then. There were not as many travel blogs as you can imagine in 2008, especially solo female travel to India. Yeah. So there were maybe two dozen out there off the top of my head and I read all of them and I reached out to all of them and I think most of them all responded and we had many emails back and forth where they'd give me tips because I think people want to share and the conclusion was that South India in general is safer than North India and Kerala was highly recommended as the safest. It's also the most literate, most religiously diverse. So Kerala? Just, Kerala, on the southwest coast. It's kind of the shape of California. Yeah, how far, of, how far away from Mumbai is that? Uh, I think a flight, maybe an hour. Okay. It's not far. Because I was in Goa. Okay. And then Mumbai. That's yeah. as far south as I went. That's just a bit north, just a little bit north of Kerala. Okay. Okay. So did you get a job there? No. Or, okay. So I wanted to get a taste of it to see if I would return and go for six months. And I realized, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't think I had the patience at the time to teach English and stay in an ashram as I had dreamed of, but I think we all just need to go and experience so that we know whether or not it's right for us. Was the ashram, uh, eat, pray, love inspired? Yes. Yes. As cliche as it <laughs> I is. I have heard this story yes. a, a few times on this show. It really inspired me as cliche sure. as it is. Yeah. Well, you know. Yeah. It's good. We get our inspiration from right. everywhere. What's the other one? Shantaram is the Yeah, I found, uh, I found it there. Mm-hmm. There was an Australian female I met that was reading it, so I bought the book. I think I read 200 pages, but it is really I never long. read it. Oh. I never read it. It's I really have no idea what it's about. Uh, it's, they found out that it's kind of part fiction, um, but it's an Australian guy who escaped prison, supposedly, and found his way in India. And throughout the 90s, he was fighting with, uh, I think, Afghan freedom fighters, and he was involved with mafia, and this and that, and all these different things. But it is very animated, but some people have said that a lot of it is fabricated as well. Right. So I'm not sure. Okay. But it does give you insight into life in India, life in Mumbai. Um, It's very colorfully written, so I would recommend it. So my experience with India, I went, I think it was 2000 nine or ten and again it was a three-week thing so it was two weeks of it was a package tour well i was in a group of like 12 and we took a small bus it was from intrepid travel i don't know if you ever used them yep. so we started in delhi and then we went down to you know, agra and and um jaipur udapur and then Ahmedabad. and then down to mumbai and finished in mumbai and then i took and no we went to goa Overnight train to Goa, which was a wild experience. And then uh, I stayed for another week in Goa because I had a friend who was living there. And I stayed there for like uh, New Year's Eve and stuff, which was pretty wild. But it's, it's someone, at, that's a big trip for you to dive into first and foremost because it's, India's hard. I tell people, you know, it's not an easy, 
thing. It's not like going to Australia, <laughs> you know, for your first trip, which was my first solo trip, which is an easy way to ease into it. I mean, it's it's still the worst poverty I've ever seen, and I've seen tough places. Yeah. You know, how were you? What surprised you when you got there, and was there anything that really was different from your expectations? Were you shocked by anything? Um, I don't think I was shocked. I think that there was, I was very naive then. I mean, I was still brave enough to go out there as yeah, most people weren't. pretty ballsy. But I had a great time all around um, in the three weeks. It was more like every time I returned because since I've returned four times, so a total of five times I've been, I see more and more. So it's more like each time I return, I'm seeing, like, learning about my first experience. So the first time I went, just like, what do they say, googly-eyed, yeah. like, just a cute little girl out there exploring. Um, but as you mentioned, it is the worst poverty I've ever seen. I mean, we talk about poverty in parts of Africa. We talk about yeah. gender inequality in the Middle East, in Muslim countries. We talk about a lot of these things, but I really find that India has the huge like largest dichotomy between the rich and the poor. You obviously have a ton of billionaires. I don't know if they might have the most amount of billionaires. And then right next to the billionaire tower are literally people living off $2 a day, kids picking rags to recycle and all that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of elements that are depressing, but there's also a lot of beauty in it. And I think that that's what people love about India. They say that it's a salt to all five senses. Um, just as much tragedy as just as much beauty, the contrast between all of it, the colors, the food, the spices, and it's a humongous country. So every region has its specialty. Um, but the, the inequality between the rich and the poor, between men and women, that is a depressing part though for me. Yeah. I found much like Africa, the, um, the cities were kind of overwhelming, but once you get out in the countryside, it was much better. Very peaceful. So yeah, calm. it was beautiful. So the the the, in, the cities can can wear on you. I think after a while, yeah. I, I you know I, I was happy to get out of the cities. Right. And once I got in the countryside, I was like, oh, this is this it's is nice. really it's peaceful, and the people yeah. are very friendly and hospitable. Um, a little uptight about uh, you know there's no uh, public displays of infection and stuff like that. And you know I have heard from women having a little bit of a tough time as a solo woman. How was it for you? going through personally i haven't had not any groped physical. or anything and i haven't I'm been groped but i do know that there probably have been more women groped in india than any other countries um like say if i talk to 20 women that have been there at least seven eight of them have been groped which is a high number and you always want to talk to people that have been there but that doesn't mean that everyone's going to be groped but you should be aware of that you should be more covered up in the way you dress walk around with your head up and always be aware of your surroundings because if you're walking around kind of with your head down or you're not noticing or if you're seeing someone stare at you and you stare back kind of in a sort of way they're going to be a bit more scared but you also have to pay attention not to make them think that you're interested by staring at them yeah so i think i walk around kind of with a more stern look and they just don't bother but you never know it could happen next time Right. I don't know if you got the attention that the uh, there was some blonde women in our group, and that was right. Oof, man, that they're was definitely the staring very exotic the, to them. Oh man, yes. they'd come up and touch their hair. Yeah, some of them would actually like give them their babies to hold and take a photo. It was really weird. Yeah, I think in the case of the babies, they asked me that in Vietnam. 
yeah. people came around and just wanted yeah. a photo with me. I think it's the same as how we want to take photos of them, right? Like, we're not as used to it because we go to these yeah. countries and we want to take photos of them. But yet it seems weird when they want a photo of us. But they also want to remember it. And they don't get to travel, perhaps, a lot yeah. of them like we do. So they won't meet you unless you're there. Well, I mean, so. did, did people think you were American right off the bat? I mean, you don't no, get that. No, if they look probably, at me, they'll think maybe she's Chinese. Chinese or Japanese. <laughs> right, right. Or maybe, like, once I get a tan, then they think that maybe I'm Nepalese. That's right. You're very castable in many different things. I guess, things. You yes. Could, you yes. could be Hawaiian. Yeah. You could, it all works. Yeah. See, if I was a casting agent, I'd be like, yeah. hey, this is... We're on to very something. castable. Yes. Um, so, did you get sick? That's the one place I got sick. Um, I've only gotten sick once, and it was just a 36-hour kind of stomach flu. So, I've been... I don't want to say lucky. I think my stomach's just really strong because now I'm at the point where I eat street food. I drink their filtered water. I eat everything. I eat the fruits. So I'm okay there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. India was the one place that took me down. Yeah. In Ahmedabad. It was in Ahmedabad? That no, was where, was, too, I got. It was uh, Udapur. Okay. Udapur. The one on, is that the one? The lake. The lake, yeah. Wiped me out. Yeah. That was the longest night of my life. Uh, but uh, I survived. And I love spicy food, and they would never make it spicy enough for me. I think they saw the white guy coming, and they dumbed it down, and I kept telling them, no, I want, right. I want what you eat. And in the north, it's typically not as spicy yeah. as the south. It, they could make it that way, but it also depends where. Because there's also a lot of people that don't need spices there. I know. It wasn't until I got to a, a food court in a mall in Mumbai. I was like, ah, here it is. Yes. This is hot. This is nice. Yeah, I love the food. It was, it was great. Did you have the vada pav? Which one, what is that? It's like a fried potato patty, basically like a little slider, but with a fried potato patty, and they put some chutney on and some spices. Yes. That's super good. That's so good. I have to eat that like every meal if give, I can. Give me an uh, Indian food recommendation in L.A. L.A. Actually, right next to me here is Clay Pit. Okay. Clay Pit was open in Brentwood for 17 years, and they think they closed because of the rent hike, and they waited a couple years for the right spot and they just opened here maybe three four years ago and it's actually really good um also india's oven off wilshire and brentwood okay so is good when did uh when did the food aspect of your blog come in and and was that something that you were always going toward i think it was always part of it because it was all always about the food the travel the people always so it went together but uh, in the recent years, I would feature cooking classes, which I love doing, or street foods, or whatever I can think of. I love to eat. Craziest, most exotic uh, animal you've ever eaten? Did you ever do the insects, like in China? Yeah, or I've done uh, fried crickets in Laos. They just taste like fried pepper. Yeah. Like large fried pepper. Um, I've had snake. I don't know if that's exotic. In Taipei, <laughs> did you go to... I don't think it's there anymore, but it used to be called Snake Alley. I think they banned it. Okay. But you could order, you could pick the snake, supposedly, then they go in the back and kill it, and it's, you have snake soup, and they give you a shot of snake blood. Oh. Did you do that? I did. What is snake blood? Well, taste it tasted like? like strawberry juice, so I feel like they must have added some it juice it in there. to make it I can't tolerable. imagine it being that sweet. They must have done something. I don't One know. One way to find out. Yeah. Let's go find us a snake. We could do that. <laughs> we could do that. So did your family ever, did you travel much as a kid? Did that plant the seed or were they uh so when i was a small kid we went to taiwan two or three times oh you did go um because my grandparents have a house there and they used to go back every year 
Um, and then in my teenage years, when my parents started doing better financially, my mom started taking us, um, but on tour buses with her friends. So it'd be like five, six Chinese families. Mm-hmm. They go abroad to Europe or parts of Asia and we take a big tour bus, which I hated, but I did get to travel. So I got to see a glimpse, but I was also miserable. So I couldn't <laughs> wait to make my own money so I could go on my own. Right. So the Chinese are getting around a lot now. They are. They are traveling a lot and they go by giant buses. Humongous buses. And uh, it's, a, it's, it's good to see them getting out in the world. Yeah. But it's also rough on a lot of uh, things too. It's changing a lot of the travel industry in, in different ways. You know, I mean, all throughout... Asia and stuff. I was just saying how uh, in a cruise line, I think it was Princess, mm-hmm. they had one of their ships go to uh, Asia just for the Asian market. It's going to stay out there. And so they're really catering to the Chinese passengers. But they uh, had to retrofit after a while some of the ships because the bars were just dying. They weren't making any money. From the bars, Cause, right. Because they don't just sit around, they don't like drink cocktails all day, you know, by a pool. They don't do that. Right. But the casinos and the shops, killing it. Right. Killing it. So they had expand the casinos and the shops and they turned some of the bars into hot water stations because they always want hot water. They're always coming around like thermoses. They're always asking for hot water and finally just converted them and just said, go get your own hot water. Yeah. And a lot of them still want to only eat Chinese food when yes. they're away, even if it's crappy change, Chinese food. They had to so, change the menus yeah. and, uh, and certain colors were unlucky and right. certain and floors, numbers. They don't want probably four and six on the elevators. Yes. Yeah, it's really fascinating yeah. when I was more I learned. So you never went to mainland China as a kid? I have, uh, I think we've been once when I was in high school. Okay. And I went again with my dad and my sister maybe about nine years ago. I think there's so much history there and I really do want to return, but I, I was kind of miserable. I still haven't done it. Yeah. I've been to Taiwan twice and I've been to Hong Kong twice. They're so I, different, Taiwan and China. Very, very different. The people in China, they come off rude. I'm not saying that they are rude or that they are bad people. It's just the demeanor. It's rough. It's and a doggy dog line. world. Right. <laughs> so even in a fancy restaurant, I mean, you can go to a five-star restaurant and you go in the bathroom and there's a few people that will just cut to the front. And unless you push them out of the way, you're not going to get to the bathroom. And I hate having to become that person, but you do have to adjust. And if you ever want to go pee, then you're going to have to push that old lady or whoever oh, it is man. out. So it's the same as buses. It's the same as going on the streets. So you do have to adjust because you are in their country, but you That's have to the mentally prepare. Around right. the world. That's a tough, uh, right. tough one. And they can overrun a place because there's the sheer numbers. Because the they go by the these money. giant buses. Right. And, you know, they'll come into a dive shop somewhere. <laughs> like this guy, like he told me in uh, Vietnam, he ran a, this Australian guy ran a uh, dive shop there. And he said the typical call we get is like right when you're locking up for the day at five o'clock, you get a call. From a, a tour guide. Okay, we're we have uh, eighty people coming in tomorrow morning, eight a.m. Yeah, and we need all the equipment, and uh, nobody can swim. Okay, see you tomorrow. <laughs> but like, are they actually what? diving? <laughs> yeah, they want to go scuba diving. Okay, and they're just like to just show up, and next thing you know, you wake up in, at eight in the morning, and there's uh, eighty uh, people crowded up and. <laughs> you're just yelling and demanding stuff. Right. And so he's like, boy, it, it can, it can overrun you if you're not planned. Yeah. But you know, you hope like the same thing with the Russians as well. You know, they're starting to get around too, but mm-hmm. it's a generation that never really got to travel. Mm-hmm. So you're hoping like maybe the next generation will kind of learn from how to get around and right. like, we still hope Americans will <laughs> in a lot of ways. More There's hopeless. a lot of ugly, uh, uh, you know, travel there and we see them. 
Well, I was All just the on time. a carnival cruise. Oh, and that well, was that'll do travel it. Travel for the year. That will do it. That'll do it. And uh, yeah, try making them laugh for uh, forty-five minutes at a time. Clean. That's the other. That's the other tough part. Uh, but anyway, yes. Um, so Taiwan. You saw my work as the host of I Top Ten. I was there at the premiere. Uh, oh, that's right. That's AMC. Right. No, it's it, CNBC. It aired. Oh, but I mean, it was at uh, Century City at yeah, the yeah, AMC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yes. right. Um, how has Taiwan changed since you've been going as a kid? Um, it's definitely developed a bit more, but a lot of it is similar. Yeah. I think I love Taiwan. I think it's top five places in the world. I think it's one of the safest places in the world. Oh, totally. I haven't been Clean, to Japan, too. but I imagine you've Taiwan. You've never been to Japan? I haven't. It's amazing. I will go. I think maybe in the spring. You'd love it. There. Yeah. If you like Taiwan, you'll yeah. love Japan. So I find it safest. People are friendly, but they don't invade your space. They keep to themselves. They don't really stare. But if you need something, you ask them. They're there. The food is amazing. I love the street food. It's in small portions, and yeah. it's cheap, so you can literally just eat every hour of the day in small Those bites. Those night markets, great. Yes. And they have a little good nightlife, too, if you want to go to the bars, uh, even clubs. But Although I think it's more for people in their 20s. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So, Din Tai Fung, are you on board, or...? I do like it a lot. I think you okay. can also find just as good of soup dumplings in San Gabriel, but I do like it. I asked Angela Sun this question. We had a whole. She's not on board. She, uh, okay. she, she gave me her own personal. Yeah. First, her mother's dumplings, but that doesn't right. count. And then she gave me a couple other. And Maybe. it is better in Taiwan or China. Of the course. Taifungs. Yeah. Right. Sure. But, but I am proud of Taiwan. They're the first Asian country to legalize gay marriage. Yeah. Or was it? Yes. Recently. So that is a good thing. And they tend to be more liberal and accepting. And you see the women there. They are highly educated. They're running corporations. You have a female president. Um, I'm proud of Taiwan. Well, with all these protests now in Hong Kong, how has Taiwan avoided like, that pressure from the Chinese government? I don't, it's tough because the current president, they're part of the Green Party. They're the party that wants to liberate mm-hmm. from China. But they also have to do it strategically. They can't just go and protest because they're so small. And most countries in the world deny even their existence as a full country because yeah. of their ties with China. So they have to play more strategically. They can't just, I don't know, they have to calculate it in that way. And Hong Kong seems to be more of an economic kind right. of powerhouse. Like they have a worldwide powerhouse. More of an upper hand in some ways. Yeah. Wow. It's so weird. I haven't been to, I still haven't been to mainland China, so that's on my list. Uh, what's on a list of places on your bucket list, other than Japan? Um, Iran was on there for a long time, and I finally went last month. Iran? Yes. Wow. Okay, let's talk about that. Sure. So How I've been, easy that to, it's hard to get in. How did you get a visa? And thing, or so did you? So, Americans can get visas. <laughs> we can? We could get visas. Um, but American, Canadian, and British citizens by Iranian law have to go with a tour company, a licensed tour company, sure. or tour guide. Um, whereas Europeans and other nationalities don't have to. So you typically sign up with a tour company. I went with Visit Our Iran. They're like, think of like an Expedia, a marketplace for all the best tour companies throughout Iran. So they maybe have 40 tour companies there. You go on their websites, you can either pick a set type of package or you can make your own itinerary and they'll line you up with the best tour company to go with. And then they'll help you apply for the visa. So you will maybe upload a photo of your um, passport and do the application. And it typically takes two to three months to get approved. Um, so we were applied as travel writers because we we're invited by this tour company. Oh. So they obviously went to our website. 
or they Googled us, but I think in general, they may Google people that are applying in general. They want to know if you've been to Israel. So typically they will deny oh. you entry. Is um, Iran, Lebanon, several countries in the Middle East will deny you entry. So initially I actually got denied because they saw I had been to Israel. And so I had waited two months to book my flight after I got my visa approved. And then the tour company said, I'm sorry, you got denied. Uh. I was like, and the other riders got approved. So I said, okay, well, I guess I'm not going. So I booked my trip to Lebanon in June, which I love, another whole story. But um, they came back two days later, or a few days later, and said, we appealed it, we really begged them, and they approved it because we told them you're a travel writer, of course you're gonna go to a lot of countries, but you're coming to learn about our country too, to write about good things, blah, blah, blah. So they approved it. But I said, I'm already going to Lebanon in June. Um, so they arranged another trip in July for me and oh, um, a girl named Catch from the Philippines originally to Monkeys Travel Group. So us two traveled <laughs> um, first six days together and then I extended another six days on my own with a guide because I wanted to see more of Iran and I figured I don't know if I will return or what's going to happen in the next few months with politics. So I was there for 12 days and I really honestly had a great time and I'm so happy I went. So... What is our biggest misconception about Iran? I think there's a lot. I mean, first of all... Well, I've been hearing about it my whole life, right. of course. But, you know, like a lot, like Russia or something, I still right. haven't been. And I'm sure I have a lot of misconceptions about that. So I think those that really are ignorant or really don't read the news are just going to think they're a bunch of terrorists, right? Well, they're yeah. going to lump Iran in with the whole Middle East. And every country is different. Well, and even if you have what we label as terrorists in certain areas, it doesn't mean the whole country is that. So well, we mis- have them. Right. Yes, <laughs> so. we do. We won't get into that. But um, So the big misconception is that Iranians hate Americans um, because there are some graffiti or propaganda that says death to America. Well, now, if you talk to some people about it over I there, see that in Spain. Right. <laughs> you know, if you it's talk, not like... Yeah. If you talk to them, some of them will say it's the ideology of America, ideology of the West. They're not saying F America. But maybe some people do think that. But in general, everybody that I met and everybody that other people, like Americans that have met, they've been so friendly. They've been so absolutely friendly. And they love American culture. They love Hollywood. They love the... You'll hear the same Michael Jackson songs in every every bar. But... You know they have a a good reason. They have valid reasons to to not right. like us. You right. know when you when you really trace it back. Yeah. Um, you know it's 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 valid. <laughs> well, when I was on the carnival cruise, I'll be honest with you. I'm looking out into that crowd and I'm thinking, like them at the pool party, getting drunk and crazy and yelling at um, workers that are telling them you're acting inappropriate, you're doing this, and the attitude that they gave back. I thought. When people see videos of this, I can understand why they're against this culture. And it's not that all Americans are like that, but that's what they also see. And it's just obnoxious behavior a lot of times. And these Americans also act like that abroad, even considering cultural differences. They may be in a conservative place. I mean, Thailand, a lot of places are used to it, but they've also adapted to it because they want to make tourist money. But they do look down on this behavior as not acceptable. I mean, there's... There's a big difference between uh, the kind of traveler that goes to, uh, you know, like you going to, you know, off and to India and backpacking through these exotic places and, you know, and then someone who goes to Cancun for spring break. I mean, that behavior is going to be a little different or even just taking a cruise in general, much less a carnival cruise, right. which, you know, appeals to a certain nobody's going there for the culture. 
Right. You know, they're going for a free buffet and to get hammered and in hot weather. Right. That's basically it. And yeah. so, I mean, that's a big difference of kind of person. It's the same people, the Brits that go and ruin every beach in Spain. You know, right. it's the same kind of... I was in Portugal last year in the Algarve, and, and it was just the amount of drunken, you know, British <laughs> behavior. Yeah. You know, it was a lot of hooligan shit, you know, taking, you know, peeing in a fountain and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's... It just happens. It's the same Americans that go to Mexico or, you know, the Bahamas or, you know, pick it. So, yeah, it's... You're going to run. You're, there's rednecks in every country. Right. Every single one. So... um how was it as a woman, again, traveling around in, in Iran? You it, know, I'm guessing uh, you were pretty covered. I was covered, yes. Yeah. Uh, by law, you have to cover your hair, but it is a loose covering. So a lot of the women there that are kind of pushing the limits and rebelling, they're showing a third of their hair. So no. it's become a fashion statement. And there are polices that will say something to you, give you a warning if you're showing too much of your hair or your neck or whatever. But I mean, I had my hair loosely covered um, down to my uh, wrists and my ankles and I was wearing sandals. But it's not as bad as, say, Saudi Arabia where you have to wear the full chador, I think it's called, or burqa. Um, But I didn't get one cat call in the 12 days. I know that there's certain countries that are chauvinistic or that have huge gender inequality where the men really act in that way. I'm not saying this, obviously it's happening over there, but it's looked down upon in public to do that, so it's not happening. The stares I got, I really don't think were sexual because I got equal amount of stares from men and women. They're just simply looking at me like, where is she from? Yeah, like, yeah, curiosity. And then they heard me speak and were like, she sounds American. Um, but people were really respectful there, like between men and women. Um, generally speaking, we're eating together. I think maybe on buses. I didn't take buses. They may be si- sitting separately, but it's definitely not as extreme as parts of Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, yeah. Yemen, and stuff like that. Um, and it's very another misconception maybe is that it may be a poor country or savage-like, but it's actually a very developed country. The roads were more paved. They got a lot than of oil. L.A. for sure. They got a lot of oil. Yeah, and even just the security system. Like as you're going through traffic lights, I mean, if you speed, they automatically take a photo. There's this automatic system that goes. So they are very advanced there, and their education system is good too. Yeah. Is um, what was your kind of uh, the nightlife, or what did they take you out? Like so alcohol anything? is banned yeah. in Iran, but I do know that there's a lot of underground parties going on. Uh, I didn't get to go because, unfortunately, my tour guide is more conservative, and I, he doesn't drink. But I did have a guy friend who I met in Cartagena. So I met him. He's from Tehran. Or he, is, he lives there, but he travels a lot. So he's on the wild side. Wow. And he would have taken me out, but I would have had a snuck out, and I didn't want to risk it. Yeah, Because I, I told my tour guide I want to meet this friend, and he said, well, he can come to the hotel lobby and meet you. I'm like, no, I don't really want to have tea. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. So maybe next time. Is it, uh, is if you're banned if you've ever been to Israel in your life, or is it just like if it's on your passport? Actually, they're more lenient. It's stamped on my old passport, but yeah. not my no, new one. Um, I mean, when you apply for that visa, they may likely Google you. So if you have a blog and it it shows you've been to Israel, obviously you could put it on private. I just didn't because I had it on other people's blogs and magazine articles on Israel. So I wasn't even going to go there. But typically with Iran, if you've been over four years ago, they may let you in. Whereas in Lebanon, if they even see it on your passport, they may not let you in at all. Though I don't think they have a system necessarily that tracks it. 
I'm not sure. I think I'd have to take out the joke about visiting Israel in my act. That yeah. <laughs> might be bad. Right. And then uh, change my entire website and probably change my name. So I think I, I, they probably wouldn't let me in. Well, they don't. I think Ung has a better yeah. chance of getting in than Siegel. Well, they don't care if you're a Jew. <laughs> I mean, there's actually. Really? There's actually, I think, about. I think they said twelve to 15,000 Jews left in Iran. And there's still synagogues there. Um, and here's a tip for those thinking of going. Israel typically doesn't stamp your passport. They'll give you a little slip. And you can easily take out that slip. But they do put these barcode stickers on the back of your passport, which we may overlook. And um, that the barcode typically shows your threat to the country. So it's like an inner, inner I don't know, communication between yeah. the airport and security. So when I went into Lebanon... The guy flipped through my passport five times, probably to look, and I don't have the stamp. He let me in. But when I was leaving, that officer knew about those stamps, and he asked, why have you been to Israel so much? And I didn't know if he was tricking me, so I lied. And I said, I haven't been to Israel. What are you talking about? And he was like, you've been several times. These stickers show it. And I thought, okay, um, sorry, it's really early right now. I'm just groggy, because <laughs> it was 5.30 a.m. And he said, you know what? Um, like, don't lie to me. It's okay. But just take these stickers off and don't show anybody else. Wow. So I learned that and then I Googled it and it is a thing. A lot of people don't know about those stickers. So. Hmm. But it would be on my old passport. Right. That went to Israel. And they wouldn't know on your new passport. Okay. It's, there's no system that's communicating with the U.S. and okay. all that stuff. So, so tell me about uh, Lebanon. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, we've always been told that Beirut at one time was the Paris. Right. Of the Middle East. And it's coming back in a lot of ways. Yeah. Is it still a lot of like rubble and... There was just last week at the southern border of Israel, there were some, there was some conflict. Um, but that kind of just remains there, is between Hezbollah and Israel. Um, but the rest of Lebanon, they kind of, they're kind of used to it, but they're kind of unaffected by it. Um, totally opposite of Iran. Although you look at it in the same region. Lebanon, in what way? Lebanon is... I think they know that Beirut, or a lot of people know that Beirut is a, one of the best party cities in the world. And <laughs> Lebanon in general, people just love to party. You can find a party every single night of the week. People can drink, are drinking throughout the day. Tel Aviv is like that. Yes. Tel Aviv's a big party. Yes. I, was, I was really surprised. Yeah. You know, Tel Aviv's a big party spot. Right. Something about being on the beach, I think. Something about being on the, on the beach. That's the Mediterranean, man. And it's very liberal. But what I love about Lebanon is a balance between being very liberal, as in you're like Western, European women are totally dressed up and in wearing whatever outfit they want, bikinis on the beach, and then also really strong emphasis on family values, which is more of an Eastern thing. So you're going to party, you're meeting friends, but they're still treating you like family, even if you just met them. They're including you, they're inviting you back and all that stuff. So I love that mix between the two. People are beautiful there, they're friendly, and the food is amazing. I want to go just for the hummus alone. Yes, you should go. (laughs) Other than the hummus, what do I have to eat there? A lot of pastry. Uh, it's a cafe a culture. Stuff. A I of, mean, is it like Israel in the way that's a lot of the pastries good? Yeah, they have a lot of pastries. They've got the kebabs. Garlic sauce is what I love. Ooh, it's yeah. just garlic, uh, some oil and salt that you put on the meats. Um, a lot of salads are delicious. The tabbouleh, obviously. A lot of olives. Olives. <laughs> they, they tune, they call it. Um, fruits and vegetables and a lot of seafood because it's oh, along yeah, the water. Right on the sea. Did you? Um, how long did you, were you in, in Lebanon? I went there two years ago for ten days, and this okay. time I returned for two and a half weeks. And I stayed most of the time in Batroun, 
which is a beach town an hour north of Beirut. It's this tiny little bubble that not many people know about. I mean... Batroon. Batroon. B-A-T-R-O-U-N. Okay. Small beach town. Everyone's just in their swim gear. Beach bums. People in dreads, tattoos, a lot of artists there. Yoga. Biggest brewery in Lebanon is there called Colonel Brewery. A lot of festivals going on. Um, it's where people go on the weekends. Lebanese go on the weekends. Do they have the same kind of restrictions about like having visited Israel or anything like that? Yeah. Like, so they're, I think, even more stricter than Iran. Oh. But it's, as long in. as it's not in your passport, it doesn't matter because we okay. don't need visas. So they're only checking once you're walking through. They're looking through your passport. They don't see it. You're in. Okay. And they typically don't ask. And if they ask... Maybe say you haven't. I hope they're not listening. <laughs> I got to I gotta think that it's not that expensive, right? I mean, how expensive it's are actually, things in Iran and, and Lebanon? Iran is really cheap right now because of the sanctions. Yeah. So it used to be like 9,000 Iranian reals, I think that's what it's called, to one U.S. dollar. And now it's at 110,000. Wow. So it's dropped 12 times lower because of sanctions. So things are really cheap. You can get a good meal, like a really good meal for $4. Or you can even, if you're backpacking, get a good meal for $1 or $2. <laughs> Lebanon is actually pretty expensive, like comparable to the U.S. in some ways. You could still find street food for cheaper, 2 $3. But if you're out and you're getting drinks, we're talking 6 to $12. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Well, that's yeah, still cheaper than L.A. Yeah. <laughs> but you can still find dive bars in L.A. Yeah, cheaper. I know. You got you to seek them out now. Right. And living in Santa Monica now, tougher to find. That's why you have to flask it. Yeah. <laughs> flask it. <laughs> Travel money. Uh, that's great. Um, okay, so I wanted to talk about uh, the financial part of your, your website because I know you talk about uh, financial independence and all that stuff of that, how to travel while working. So talk about that part. So there's different aspects of it. First of all, it's uh, credit cards, points, and miles. Yeah. I'm Packing. on that. Yes. I'm totally on it. I apply for a new credit card every three months, and I do keep track. I have a physical calendar book, old school, uh, of when, I'm, when I get approved, I will write 11 months from now, cancel that credit card, unless I want to keep it. Yeah. Um, and every credit card gives you fifty to 60,000 miles, which is a round trip. So there's if that. If you do it right. If you choose right. the right ones. Right. <laughs> so there's that. And then... You can also get more deeper into it by, by seeing, after you cancel it, what's your time period or your penalty before you can reapply. So I've done that. And then obviously I charge everything on my credit card, everything that I can, my insurances and all that stuff. Um, so every other flight of mine are covered by these mm-hmm. miles and points. Um, and the other aspect is I work in title insurance. I'm a sales rep for them in real estate. And I've been doing that for 13 years. And I'm commission-based, and thankfully, most of my clientele are under 45, so they're very self-sufficient, and things get done mainly digitally. So they email me, and I get it done, and I'm always working. So it's not, I never call it a vacation. Um, I'm always working, I'm always on my phone, but the thing is that I could be at a bar on my phone, or I could be on the beach and on my phone, and I'm answering emails, and unless they're on my social media, they don't know that I'm even away. But a lot of people would say property is one thing that, that kind of ties you to a place. Right. So is, do you have, you don't manage places. So the other, so title insurance is a service that we sell to real estate agents, mortgage companies, escrows. Every transaction, um, a sales or refinance, they need title. It's just a matter of which company. So I'm luring them to go to my company by building relationships. But the other aspect is uh, real estate investing, which is totally something I've done on my own. 
I now own four properties that I've bought since 2010. Um, two of them I manage because they're single family houses with really low maintenance tenants that pay on time. And if they need something, they text me and they say, Hey, I have this plumbing issue. I ask them to send me a quote. If it's okay, I approve it. And then the other two, I have property managers. Okay. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. Cause when I, cause I had a duplex right? and I would get a call and I'd be in Singapore or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> our toilet's blocked and I'm like, wow, this is, yeah. it's four in the morning in Singapore. I don't know how to, that, that became kind of stressful after mm-hmm. a while. And if you get bad tenants, that's a, that's another, that is bad. That's a tough so one. I have some problematic tenants. Uh, it's a four unit in South LA Oh yeah. and I had a very shady property management company for many years. So that cost me, but in the end I still made a good amount of money from that. Right. So it is tough. The problematic tenants and the shady property management companies. Right. <laughs> well, if I ever get back into it, I'll let you know. Yes. The, um, um, and also for the people who are doing the travel hacking, we, we've done shows, whole shows on this right. in the past. Um, these are for people, you, you should have decent credit and know how to, you pay this off every month. Right. Yeah. So the people would say, oh, but the interest rate is, no, don't worry about no. it. You pay it off every month. Yeah. So if you can't do that, then don't, don't bother with that, folks. Yeah. I met somebody who, who said she wanted to travel more, and I encouraged her to do that. And she said, no, I know myself. I'm going to run on my credit. I'm not going to yeah. do it. Some so people I, cannot handle credit cards. I respect her for knowing. Yeah, no, at least she knows. some people may not have the self-control, but. Those are usually hard yeah. lessons to learn. Yeah. You know, for people, but and as long as they learn them. Right. That's how they take <laughs> advantage because oh, more people than not are going to screw up and start racking on their credit. So people that could be on top of it, then you really take advantage of the system. Yeah. My rule is I never, um, if I'm crossing an ocean, I never pay for it. That's mm. always my, either points or miles yeah. or anything. Okay. What are the, what are the two? Cause I'm, I'm about to get some new cards. What are the, what are the cards that you're high on now? I got um, the Barclays American Airlines Aviator credit card, okay, which I'm about to cancel because it's about to hit a year, and that gave me, I think, 60,000 miles. Um, Chase Sapphire Reserve, I've just kept. I know. I my, pay it every year, and it's just great. That's the one I, I've kept. Yeah. Um, I haven't applied for the American Expresses, but that's next on my list. I've heard... I think the business one, or I'm not sure. Are you doing the hotel ones? Because I'm not big. I don't the, do it because I usually Bonvoy stay at person. Airbnbs and sometimes hostels, but I usually do Airbnbs for $30, $40 a night. Yeah, or a Starwood. So I'm not or, on the hotels. Yeah, that one I'm not. I was on Hilton Honors. I had a lot for a while when I was working for TV. And that was the only time I've ever uh, accidentally let miles expire, let points expire. And I was so furious. Yeah. Like 100,000 points, uh, hotel points. And I was like, God. It's like that was just you got to be on it. Right. You got to be organized, and also if you're not organized, know that about yourself and don't do this out there, folks. Because put it on your phone, you'll end or, up putting fees, yeah. and you'll yeah you'll pay too much. Right. Um, okay. So where where are you off to next? This this sounds pretty good. The one you're going. This afternoon, you're leaving today. Yes, I have still have to pack. I'm going to Macedonia. I have a friend's wedding, so I'll be there for a week, and then I'm going to Italy for two and a half weeks. Oh, that's gonna be so nice. Yes, it's gonna be so nice. Did uh, okay. Give me the craziest flight you've ever taken. The worst flight, any uh, whether it's turbulence or the, the worst, worst delays. The worst was actually been... on that first trip to India. Um, I must have not planned it well, or I don't know what was going on. But I booked my flight out of Chennai in the east, but I ended up in Mumbai as my last stop. So I had to take a flight from Mumbai to Chennai and for whatever reason there were like five stops along the way 
I don't remember why, but it was awful because I got sick. <laughs> oh, from, on the plane. From the plane because of um, going up in the air, the air conditioning, oh. and then it turning off, off and on, off and on, being stuffed in there with people. Um, and it was just miserable because it was like seven oh. hours of five stops. Um, the worst. Yeah. Oh, that sounds awful. And it's just miserable if you ever have to sit in the middle seat, which today actually looks like I have. I hope. Oh I can no, get. we got a middle seat. Hopefully, oh. I can change it. Oh. Because I also go to the bathroom a lot, and I get very claustrophobic. So. Oh no! Really? I need, I need that. Can you sleep on planes? I'm really terrible. At it depends it. on the seats. It's obviously not great. No. If I can lay flat, you know, yeah. like in business well, or first class, right. I'm fine. But those. Oh, I'm that jerk with the reading light on and yeah. the red eye. I'm that guy. I got upgraded somehow. I don't know how to one A on Qatar Air recently. Ooh, nice. And that is one of the best first class seats ever. I was able to lay flat. I had my own door. Complete silence. The food was amazing. Your own door. Like a little sliding door. Oh, nice. Um, the food was great. Smoked salmon and all this other good stuff. I still haven't done Singapore Air. Which, I heard it's good. That's supposed to be, they're always like number one in the world. Right. Um, give me your worst uh, India travel experience. Did you ride on the trains with people sitting on the top of them? Because I, I took an overnight. That, that. that one was tough. Right. And I was in first class. Yeah. And if that was first class, I don't know what coach must have looked like. Cause it yeah. Was, um, I rode the train in Mumbai in the old train station, and that is an, a wonderful experience. Um, one thing to note is that the transgenders or they're called hijras, and they kind of beg for a living or they kind of harass you until you get the money for a mm. living. Um, so people should be aware of this because when we were on the train, it's like a female-only compartment, but they'll hop on and they'll start coming near you. Sometimes they'll even like start touching your hair and you just have to pay them to leave. Oh. And it wasn't that bad, but it was... I knew about them, but this is the first time I experienced it. I'm sitting there, and both of them are just coming really close to me, and they're about to touch my hair. And I just had to scream and say, get away. Because people are used to it, and I know that that's what they do for a living, but you're also encouraging it if people continue to get the money. So me kind of shouting and saying, do not touch me, they kind of got scared and backed off. But um, they also go to weddings and baby celebrations and they start dancing around and they're kind of sometimes seen as bad luck so you have to pay them for them to ward off the bad luck gosh so it's something to keep in mind it's a cultural thing yeah not saying it's good or bad but just keep in mind that they come you either pay them or you kind of shout and say f off the um my story about the the train station i did go to the the train station and it was a a fascinating place but i would watch these uh trains come in and just loads of men coming off and then the female car would empty out and it was like this explosion of color because the saris are all these different it was like a black and white movie went to color Mm -hmm. it was just almost like in slow motion they walk out in these flowing saris and it was just like wow what a it was a striking difference yeah that i remember that and the dabawalas yes um, that's a fascinating thing look it up folks no but uh I describe it to people. I saw a, a TV special on them yeah. as well, how uh, basically the wives back home make their meals for their husbands at, at work, and they give it to these it's a whole deliverers. And, and most of these guys are illiterate, and they just operate on these little symbols that are painted on the... And they know by these symbols where it's supposed to go. Somebody brings it to the train station. It rides the train. They hand it off to another guy. He knows, hand it off to a guy on a bicycle. He knows where it goes. And they have like a 99% success rate. I think that's like a, 
what India is about is organized chaos. If right. you see the way they drive, I've rarely oh, ever seen car accidents. Is... I know what happens, but you have the rickshaws, the cows, the beggars, oh, the cars. Pull carts. Just going bicycles, in synchrony. Goats, yes. dogs, people running through. Uh, it's, it's I love insanity. the rickshaws. The moment I get on that <laughs> rickshaw from the airport, I feel at home. Oh, really? Yes, I love it. So if you ever think about would you live over overseas or retiring abroad or something like that? I would love to live in Lebanon or in uh, in uh, Italy. Oh well, yeah. I would like to try for at least six months to a year, but I would have to have something to do. Like I wouldn't just go there just to hang out. Maybe, well, you are a digital nomad, right? You know? <laughs> but I don't know that I could keep this job. Maybe they would let me if I continue my numbers, or I can just go there and write. Right? Ca- sure. Catch up on all the years of writing and edit the photos but it'd be cool if there was an NGO where I can offer some skill that I have in Lebanon or Italy kind of do that like a pasta making class or <laughs> cooking class for a year so cool. that's the other part of the Ypres love yes. we're back in the book right um, so do your parents have they warmed up to you in this lifestyle have, oh they're <laughs> so used to it now I think that they would still prefer like in the back of their mind that I'd be this wholesome Chinese girl Are they that waiting gets for married. your grandparents? They're no, waiting to they're be not as much like that. Okay. But when I was going to Iran, because what happened was five American travel writers were supposed to go to Iran in June as kind of a press trip. And by the end, everyone backed out, either because of passport issues, uh, because you had to mail in your passport to the Pakistani embassy in D.C. because we don't have an Iranian embassy. Oh, right. So That's most travelers can't ass. do that. Yeah. And then several others backed out because their family members freaked out. Oh. They got too scared because of the news and Trump tweeting every other day. I'm going to right. kill, I don't know, whatever he's saying. But um, so I didn't tell my parents. I wasn't sure. But generally speaking, they're used to it. So the day before, I just sent this text in the group text. It was like, I'm going to Iran tomorrow. See you back in two weeks. <laughs> and my dad said, OK, have fun. Be safe. And then I think two hours later after he Googled it, he was like, oh, it looks like they're seizing ships between... Uh, the UK and Iran and US there's some conflict you better be careful I said don't worry it's fine and he said okay have fun <laughs> so they are used to they're it they're getting used to it they're very used to it has there been one time that you've uh, canceled like saying like I don't feel good about this one um, I think only Iran was the only one that I was concerned generally speaking I'm not that concerned because I always talk to the people that have actually been to the place versus everyone else that are just reading the news and I've talked to 20 people that have been to Iran in the past five years and said nothing but good things, both Iranian-Americans and white Americans, because a lot of people say, well, because you're Asian, doesn't matter. No, there's like white Americans that have gone and say the same thing, how friendly they are, how peaceful it is, as long as you follow the rules. I mean, that's the emphasis. You hear sure. these crazy um, punishments that they have for women to find the hijab or people protesting or writing wrong things about them. But typically speaking, if you follow the law there and in the Middle East, you're probably going to be safer there than the U.S. I mean, there's no mass shootings happening over there like we do here every single day, which is what I emphasize when people are like, oh, my God, aren't you scared to go here and here? I'm like, I could literally step out today and get shot, whereas unless I'm maybe in Yemen or parts of the Taliban area in oh, Pakistan, sure. yeah. it doesn't happen. The um, Is there is there still an – do we have an embassy there anymore? No. Or, yeah, we don't. So that is a bit scary. Yeah, ever since the the hostage crisis, I'm right. guessing. Um, God, that's been 40 years now. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Wow. You're too young to remember, but I do kind of remember right. it. Right. That's so weird, which is weird because I'm only 29. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> you heard me. I'm very young, folks. This is radio. Um, so what do you think all this travel 
and all the places you've seen, what has it taught you as a, as a person and how you look at people and maybe how you look at our country and the world? How has it changed you? I think that I've always kind of known, but it, I reinforced the, my opinion that human beings are all essentially the same. At, its, at our core, we're the same. We're born the same way. We came out the same way. Most of us are breastfed and drink milk and all, all that bare stuff. It's a politics and human greed that change things. So even with religion, which you know you explore a lot in Europe, in the Middle East, and Asia, it's more shaped by politics than it is with, with religion itself. So in the case in the Middle East, which I go a lot, it's power. There's so much, ba- yeah. There's so much bad about Islam and blah blah blah. And sure, it's a more conservative religion than others, but generally speaking, it's politics. And so much of it is not just Middle Eastern and Arabic politics on its own. It's what the U.S. and the U.K. have done and their greed for oil and how they treated them uh, that has made things more extreme. Our support for Saudi Arabia, for example, and which Israel. is the most extreme, right? <laughs> That's, yeah. And they're, then they're radicalizing people and we're supplying weapons and blah, we can go on. But so much of it is politics. And so when people start bashing on Islam or bashing on Muslims or bashing on whatever it is, Jews and stuff, I have to remind them that I really think it's politics and people really essentially are the same. Like we all eat together. We all drink. Some people drink tea. Some people drink alcohol. But I mean, we're all kind of the same down under. And I do think and I wish that Americans would travel more because we have been taught since we were kids that we're the best nation in the world. We're the best Mm. people. We have it right. But there's so many things that I think if there is a right or wrong, I don't believe there's a lot of right or wrongs, but there is a lot of wrongs with American yeah. thinking. There's no one, there's no perfect place. Right. If I've learned anything after a hundred countries, there's no, yeah. there's no perfect place anywhere. Everybody right. has its, its degrees of it. Yeah. Of uh, corruption or whatever it is and, and poverty. Right. And, and peace, you know, that kind of thing. But I don't know. You've been to China though, in India. It's just, uh, it's just numbers game, really. It's just, when you see a billion people in one place, you're going, this is a tough way to live. There's a lot of people in China that are living better now. Well, yeah, a yeah, yeah. But it's just yeah. numbers. Right. I mean, it's just math, right. simple math. There's only so much to go around, whether yeah. it's water or food or air. Right. <laughs> well, know? the separation between the rich and the poor, obviously, yeah. are, are happening. They're not as regulated, whereas we have actually a minimum wage, which I think should be raised, but that's another subject. Mm-hmm. But in India and China, I don't think it's as regulated. So, you know, in India, you're paying your maids $150, $200 a month for them to live with you, like 24-7. And people will say, well, that's just the way the wages. And they can't, they can maybe try to afford to send their kids to school, but they're also living across the country. But if you raise it for one, you have to raise it for all. So yeah. there is a lot of that going on. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. But we were born in a, in a good situation overall. We are. We have to, you know, I have to remember to be thankful right. for all that and stuff. And we should give back, I think, any Absolutely. way we can. Yeah. Well, enjoy your trip. It sounds like an amazing trip. Thank you. Oh, I forgot to get your plugs. Tell people where they can find you. Bohemianvagabond.com. Okay. Same handle on Instagram and Pinterest, where I have um, more posts. Twitter is Jackie Young. <laughs> but Bohemian Vagabond is my handle. Okay. That's great. And uh, anything else you'd want to tell the people out there? Anything else you recommend? Are we going to get Chinese food at some point? Yes, we are. Okay. Where uh, should I go around here? I've got to get lunch on the way. 
Northern Cafe in Westwood. Okay. So you just go down the hill. It's right there. All in right. the UCLA Village. Ooh, nice. And school's back. School's Could back. Be crowded. Yes. All right. I'll check it out. Jackie Young, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you.